about a month ago, I did a sermon on Nehemiah, and you can go back and find that around August the, the 1st. And I called him God's man on the scene. Think that you might enjoy the lesson, but that's not part of our lesson this morning. I just want to bring up something about Nehemiah. He did what he did, he said, because he was concerned about the reputation of God. He wanted God to have a good reputation because God is good. But all of us, all of us have experienced Christians being not good. And some of us have then begun to question whether there is a God or whether God is good because of the way we see his children act. Now, none of us, anybody who's going to be paying attention to these Monday morning uh, messages. None of us have any interest in degrading the reputation of God. All of us want to lift up the character of God. But what if, what if one of the doctrines which Christians hold dear and then defend with all their might actually damages the reputation of God? Which are you going to let loose of first? God's pure and great character, or the doctrine you've held so dear. Now there are so many places we could go, but we're gonna use Numbers, the book of Numbers, as an illustration today. Specifically, we're gonna take a look at Numbers 31, but we'll be referring to Numbers 25 as well. For those of you that don't know the makeup of the book of Numbers, uh, the first few chapters uh, just really get everything in order. Uh, and then the middle section is, is rather long about the times in the wilderness. And then the last bit is just about the very last days before they cross into the land of Canaan, the, the Jews that have been wandering for 40 years. We say wandering, but they were under God's guidance the whole time. Moses is about to die. This, in fact, will be Moses's last battle action. I don't believe he took any part of it, but it's one he authorized. Although in Numbers 25, it goes to great lengths to indicate, no, no, it wasn't Moses authorizing this. This was God. This, this was Jehovah, uh, Yahweh, that was pushing this battle. In fact, sometimes it goes a bit over the top with that. There's even a phrase here that if we were to translate it literally is kind of like to avenge the avenging, which is a Hebrewism or Hebraism that just means, you know, super avenging, but it's God's idea. It's God's idea. And whenever you start reading the story, you can see why the author of the book of Numbers is trying to say, hey, hey, it wasn't Moses's idea. This is all on God. But the effect of that is to bring into question the goodness of God. I'll set it up. Back in Numbers 25, we find the Midianites had um, uh, a lot of beautiful women. They were known for that. And these beautiful women, had lured the Israel, uh, Israelites away from pure worship into the highly sexualized and ritual prostitution and fertility rites of pagan gods. Well, God did not like that at all, of course, and so he launched a couple of major offenses to kill a whole bunch of Midian men. Already I'm a little troubled because it, it really, most of the books I read about this and they're written by Christians trying to defend God. And, and it's basically, well, the Midians, Midianites had it coming. He, God had no choice. But I keep wondering, why don't the Israeli men, uh, Israelite men, have any responsibility here? 
Instead, it's, no, we got to kill those bad Midianites. Rather than, Moses, Aaron, why are your men so untaught, so unfaithful, so weak that they abandon God at the sight of a pretty girl? That's not really dealt with. No, no, it's kill the Midianites. And it's take revenge against them because of what they did in, in luring our people to paganism at Baor, at uh, Baal of Baor. By the way, I always grew up calling him Baal, but I have been corrected by people who actually speak Hebrew and do it very well and teach it in universities, and they say it's Baal. So I'll let you call him what, he, what you want to. He's not, not a real god. So, But Baal of Peor is where this happened. And one of the punishers was this fierce, fierce fellow named Phineas. And in chapter 25, he, um, he brutalized and just killed willy-nilly. But even more, he killed when he... The, and, and the phrasing here, I have read books even this morning just to review this. I went back and looked up several passages. The scripture says that a man brought, an Israelite man, brought a Midianite woman to the tent of God. So to the tabernacle, although some people want to translate that to mean his own tent or his brother's tent, I think the, the majority will say it was God's tent. And Phineas, acting on orders from God as a righteous man, grabbed a spear and rammed it through the man so hard it also went through the woman, the woman. And that this was blessed by God because that's what God wanted. Now, how do, how do, we, how do we make this mesh with Jesus? Well, people who insist that the Bible is inerrant, has zero errors, and that it is, doesn't contain, but it is the actual words of God that he spoke these words and they had to write down these words. They have to go through all kinds of som uh, somersaults and con um, contortions here. And they'll say, well, the word taking there is, is more like a sexual taking, more like a, um, you know, it's a sexual act. Maybe, maybe. It, it, it seems a reach, but maybe. So that's okay then? It's okay just to spear them to death? Or what about this? Numbers 31, which is the real place we wanted to talk about. Phineas, once again, leads this battle against the Midianites because they must be punished for luring our weak, spineless men to uh, sexual liaisons with Midianite women. Again, it's a vengeance. It's avenging the avengers and, and uh, uh, avenging the avenging. It's, so they got to grab special forces here. They, they, don't, they don't send all of Israel. They get a thousand from each tribe. Now, when I was a boy, I was really fascinated that they could get exact numbers like this. You know, 1,000 from this tribe, 1,000 from this tribe. Please be aware that since then I've learned a lot, and I hope you have too. Precision with numbers is not a part of these cultures. Numbers are a concept. So they got the people that they were going to get from, let's say, Judah and from Benjamin. And you get the point. It just means they got them all that they were going to get. And so it's not 12,000 exactly. It's a concept. 
They're united. Israel is united because God demands that they go kill these people. And so they kill them. Uh, you start in chapter 31. The Lord said to Moses, so Moses didn't say, you, know, you take vengeance on the Midianites. And after that, Moses, you're, you'll die. This is your last holy act. Although not technically, because the entire book of Deuteronomy is, is Moses saying goodbye and a very long recapitulation of the law and who they are and their identity right before he dies. So anyway, so he sends Phineas, son of Eleazar, the priest. Phineas is a brutal and brutish individual here. Verse 7, they fought against Midian as the Lord commanded Moses and killed every man. Every man. Now that, <clears throat> again, not precision. So we can take some comfort in that because uh, killed every man is basic cultural Semitic war talk. But they do give a list of people. Then they say they killed Balaam as well with a sword. You ready? <clears throat> the Israelites captured the Midianite women and children and took all the Midianite herds, flocks, goods as plunder. Wait a minute. Wasn't it the women that lured the men? But they're captured. Oh, wait till you see what happens next. They burned all the towns where the Midianites have settled, as well as all their camps. By the way, what did the children have to do with this? Is that okay then? Say, well, you know, mom and dad tried to win over these people to their new religion. And so that we got to kill the kids now. Or we got to enslave the kids. Do you see any way that this matches? with not only Jesus, but think about books like Hosea, Micah, Nehemiah, Amos. This doesn't fit. They took them all, they brought the captives, spoil and plunder. Uh, they bring them before Moses, Eleazar the priest, all the leaders, and Moses is very angry with the officers of the army. Why have you allowed the women to live? I want to ask you, in what universe is it just to go kill all the men, women, and children? How can you gel that with anything Jesus said? Now, because of stark things like this, there are people that say, well, the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament. Rubbish. What we have to do is let loose of our insistence on a doctrine of inerrancy where everything is perfectly out of God's mouth onto the paper. Let's all ignore all of the tens of thousands of variants, uh, most of which are very minor, to be honest. But let's ignore all that. These are God's words on the paper, and every one of them is absolutely 100% historically, scientifically, and theologically, and philosophically accurate. If you hold that, you create a barrier between people and Jesus. You are defending your doctrine at the cost of the character of God. I don't think that's a good trade. I think if we start with the character of God, then we can look at this and say, one, it may have happened or may not have happened. Two, if it did happen, it was horrific 
and wrong and immoral. Because it gets worse. Oh, you didn't know it could get worse. Oh, it gets worse. He says, why did you allow them to live? They're the ones who followed Balaam's advice and were the means of turning Israelite men away from the Lord at what happened at Peor. Oh my goodness. <clears throat> uh, so once again, it's not the men's fault. Poor men. Those women were just dressed like that. They were asking for it. That's what it, you see what I'm saying? That's horrible. Oh, it gets worse. Now, verse 17, kill all the boys. I have five grandchildren, four of which are boys. I, I cannot imagine God saying, Patrick was such a sinner, kill him. Can you? Can you imagine Jesus saying that in a Sermon on the Mount somewhere? Then it goes further. Yeah. Kill every woman who slept with a man. And just when you think it can't get worse, but save for yourself every girl who's never slept with a man. You get to keep the virgins. Have some fun. And that's exactly what they did. One of the commentaries I read this morning to refresh my... Make sure I had it right, but also it refreshed my anger, frankly. Said, uh, now, you know, these stories raise questions about morality. The only way to understand such a ghastly command is to indicate what was sta at stake. In other words, we, had to, we have to keep these, these people pure before they go into Canaan. Well, God knows, you know, and everybody that read the Bible knows they didn't stay pure in Canaan. That's not it. We have to keep them safe so that Jesus can be born through this line. I get that. That's a good argument, but not for this. Because, again, hold your own people responsible for their own decisions. You can't say the Midianites made me. You can't do the Adam and Eve thing where Adam goes, you know, you made her, you know, and she lured me off. But, you know, the ultimate cause is going to have to be you, God. No, no. So... That bending of the ark that we see when we read scripture must be kept in mind. Where we see God saying no Moabites in the temple and then Ruth comes along and she's one of Jesus' grandmamas. Nobody in Jericho is allowed to live. Then we see this um, nice lady, uh, Rahab, is now in the camp eventually and one of Jesus' grandmamas. That's all done on purpose. And as Jesus goes through his life, he continually reaches out to fallen women, to women who are in sexual slavery. I'm, I'm absolutely convinced that's what the woman in Luke 7 was going through. This is why Jesus didn't tell her to change her behavior or to stop doing anything. He just said, you're forgiven. He didn't say, Phineas, grab a spear, run them through in church. He didn't say, kill all the boys, round up the virgins for yourself, though. The Old Testament and the New Testament were written by human beings. And yes, there's a lot of inspiration by God here, and there's a lot of leading by God. But the Bible does tell us, handle those scriptures correctly. Rightly divide them. The Bible says it itself repeatedly. And the Bible also says something else very, very powerfully. 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is the Word of God. These are words about God, and these are words that lead us to God. But when we find something in here which is horrific, we do not, we do not throw that on our God, the God of love. And if you're wondering why there are a lot of atheists, I can tell you, many of the atheists I meet were former ministers, pastors, and priests. They got tired of having to explain away many places like Numbers 25 and Numbers 31 and holding to the doctrine of inerrancy and direct inspiration at the cost of the character of God. Instead, they didn't think of that that way. They really believed the Bible tells us about God and it's one unit and therefore God wanted them to kill the boys and take the virgins. They don't wanna serve a God like that. So when I talk to them, I'm always saying, well, you don't have to because the God of all the universe, the King of Kings, is not like that, which is why Jesus didn't establish anything like this. And this is why in the Old Testament, you still see that moral arc. Starts off with horrific slavery, regulations keep changing, and then by the time we get to Paul, Paul says, the slave is your brother. Treat them as a brother, because they're not your property. They're your brother. What are we going to do? Are we going to def defend our doctrines even if it damages the, the reputation of God? I hope not. I really do. Because how can the God that said to Phineas, you know, go kill him and keep the girls, say this, he has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Let us be concerned about the reputation of the character of God so that we rightly divide these words and we see them in their context and we see them for what they are. An argument about God a nation trying to get its history and its story down to hold itself together, war talk, hyperbole, blame shifting sometimes. But just because it's in there doesn't mean God approves of this, even if Moses said he did. I know this will upset some, but I want you to think about this. And then if you've got a passage that is particularly troubling you, like this one, and you want me to cover it, let me know. Info at OurSafeHarbor.com Our God is good. He is loving. He is just. Jesus proves that. And the book of Hebrews nails it home. Remember that. Live in such a way this week as to make God smile and make other people smile when they think of God. We'll see you soon.